Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. And today we've got a delightful podcast coming up for you today. I'm just going to get rid of this cable. Uh, where we're going to be talking to Stephen Siddall, who is the contact systems lead at MS Marks and Spencers. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Marks and Spencers is one of the UK's largest retailers, has been using conversational AI for quite some time in a bunch of different channels. And we're going to be climbing into exactly how it's used, what the lessons have been uh, from Stephen and his team, and how you can apply the same lessons to improve your conversational AI initiatives. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to give a shout out to Dean. DeepGram. DeepGram is industry-leading speech recognition technology. Companies up and down the world and all over the place are using DeepGram's uh, proven, industry-proven automatic speech recognition to power conversational AI, voice bots, and a whole manner of other transcription requirements from, uh, you know, call recordings and transcriptions to meetings and, you know, transcribing meetings and assigning actions to people automatically and a whole bunch of other things can be enabled further down the pipeline. But it all starts with getting an accurate transcription, especially when you're working with voice assistants technologies. Most organizations don't even retrain their speech recognition models and they wonder why their bot's not performing as good as it could. And so with DeepGram, you can retrain your models based on your specific industry domain, based on the way that your customers speak, based on your products and services. The accuracy is immense. It's incredibly cost effective. Uh, The speed is unbelievable as well. So do check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world if you do have some speech recognition or ASR requirements. That is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Shout out to Deepgram. Uh, okay, so without further ado, uh, let's welcome today's guest, Stephen Siddall of Marks and Spencer. Steve, welcome. Okay, nice to, nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise, likewise. How's things? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, busy, busy as always, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's where we like it. No rests for the wicked, as they say. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate uh, I appreciate you joining us. I know that you've I know that you're busy, and I know that you've got uh, a whole load of stuff on your plate, uh, especially when it comes to the conversational AI side of things. A lot of stuff going on at MS, a lot of plates spinning and stuff like that. But I'm definitely excited to uh, to share with with the audience today a little bit about what you're up to and stuff. So maybe to kick it off, be good to maybe introduce yourself and and for those who are maybe a bit further afield, might not be aware of Marks and Spencer in the US and and you know broadly in, in other parts of parts of Europe and whatnot. Uh, it might be interesting also to just introduce MS at the same time. Yeah, sure. So just a, a bit about MS first. So yeah, so if you if you're unfamiliar with MS, so MS has uh, been around for a long time in the UK, uh, since the sort of late 1800s And you know, we were we started as a sort of a, a penny bazaar in uh, Leeds market um, and grown from there really. And you know, we've got a long tradition of you know in the UK of you know being synonymous with quality innovation um, and we operate sort of in in a number of international markets as well but broadly we're in the sort of um retail space you know clothing home food and um, all that all that good stuff that everyone likes really um, there's an interesting story on the uh, on the website of our history about we were one of the first retailers to sell avocado pears uh, in the uk and there's a story i don't know if it's true or not but there's a story of a customer who who uh, who tried to serve this avocado pear with custard um, quite interesting. Um, well, I was having a look before this. There's quite a lot of recipes now for avocado pears with custard on the on the internet. So really? Yeah. Avocado pears. Are you talking about two avocados or, or a certain type of avocado pear? No, an avocado pear, as in you know the stuff you make guacamole for. All right. All right. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Avocado, um, avocado with custard. I don't know if I would... Uh, mind you, banana and custard go as well. So things that's that, the thing, yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. But yeah, that's sort of, you know, a, a bit about M&S really. So a, a bit about myself. So I've, I've worked in contact centers for, for about 30 years now in a variety of different sort of organizations. You know, I've worked embedded in the operation. I've worked for third-party suppliers. I've worked for um, outsourced uh, contact center operations, but all broadly always in the field of sort of, you know, the systems that sit around contact centers to that, that you know, are used to sort of make contact centers work. Um, I've been with M&S about six years, um, and about four years ago is sort of where we sort of started our, I guess, our conversational AI journey but i've i've sort of i've been exposed to it on and off you know in my in my career you know before it was even known as conversational ai in the in the days where to be able to leverage speech you had to you had to be able to code mm. voice xml and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. So where did where did your first kind of exposure or interest come from in this field then? Uh, insofar, insofar as M&S goes, so we, we, we've, we've sort of had a, we, you know, we started, so I guess, with the Nuance chatbot um, um, about, you know, five years or so ago. Um, and that sort of evolved over time. And that was sort of, you know, very much in the, in the chat arena. About sort of two or three years ago, we, we started on our voice journey. Um, and that was for a very, very specific use case to do with our store estate. Um, where we, we, we believe there was a, an opportunity in the way that we set up our stores. Um, so that historically what happened is you rang an M&S store, you sort of went through to um, um, one of 13 sort of centralized switchboards, and that was sort of a, a little room in, in a number of stores across the UK where someone would answer the car, answer your call and ask you what you wanted to, to what, what you were trying to do. And, and they would take that information and then, Broadly speaking, always just transferred you on manual transfer to the right area of M&S that might be within the store. It might be to us to the contact center operation or it might even be to a third party. And that was sort of um, looked at, you know, we sort of felt that there was an opportunity there to sort of go, OK, well, could we take that switchboard operation and, and turn that into um, an automated way of where someone could actually say what it was that they wanted to do? And then we would transfer that call to the right place. And that's sort of where we started on our, on our I guess, our natural language voice journey, as it were. Mm, mm, interesting. And, and what was the kind of motive behind that? Was it that you had lots of these switchboards dotted around all over the place and the experience was a bit inconsistent? Like what was the yeah, was yeah. innovation um, play? Like what was the... the there, was a, there was a lot of things driving it, a lot of benefits that we, that we built into the business case. Um, and, you know, some of it was about, okay, well, some of it was about leverage, you know, was the, was the destination we were sending that, that call to, that contact to the right, the best place to service it. So we always had that, that sort of customer service element in there. And, you know, consistency is, is obviously quite important about that. You know, anyone who sort of works in contact centers is, is you know, is, is aware that, you know, when you're trying to sort of work with, work with people, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of processes that sit around sort of, seeing what those colleagues are doing, you know, measuring the, the, their effectiveness. You know, you're always sort of looking at, you know, colleague transfers in a contact center. And we felt that, that having a, having, you know, a bot doing that for us was a way of both consistently and efficiently, efficiently sort of getting, getting that done really. And, you know, that was sort of a bit of a gateway then to, you know, was there other ways then that we could then improve the customer journey by trying to automate those those conversations a little bit more, you know, and, and getting the getting the customer the information that they needed a little bit earlier. Beginner's mistake, my comment. <laughs> <laughs> um Interesting. So, so let's let's well, maybe we'll come back on onto that. But you mentioned as well you had a, a chatbot also. Yeah. So you had so the IVR journey began with call routing and kind of enhancing or augmenting the switchboard. Yeah. Where where did the the chatbot kind of situation begin? Yeah. So that was sort of an opportunity that was identified, you know, relating to our e-commerce site. So probably probably going back to the sort of the history of M&S history of M&S sort of, you know, is very much bricks and mortar retail in the UK, you know, 600 or so stores in the UK. And that was our primary um, primary sort of point of sale. Now, you know, around sort of 10 years ago, you know, we started moving into this, you know, into the e-commerce space and, you know, got a website, you know, and, you know, part of the future strategy of M&S is sort of digital first. Um, you know, not to say that stores are always going to be, you know, not going to be always a part of, of, of M&S. But what we, what, what we felt there was that, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on the website where customers were trying to find answers to questions. And we could, you know, traditionally, you know, if you look at, if you look at the, you know, most website, you know, we've got help pages we've got contact us you know contact us forms for email we've got you know telephone numbers if you want to ring us and stuff like that and what we felt was that the there was a gap there that we we felt that you know we had a number of you know live chat journeys that basically came from our contact us forms directly into a colleague 
And what we then wanted to do was to sort of see what we could then do with a chat bot to see if we could then service those um, those customers, get them again, you know, get them answers to questions, you know, a bit sooner. Um, really trying to start to understand well what what are these customers actually and what 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 do these what are these customers trying to find out find on the website you know is there an opportunity to sort of help help um help with the selling journey you know answer a question but that's sort of where that where that came from it was sort of you know partly to sort of can we service those contacts better and you know can we leverage further opportunity in terms of you know what customers are looking at on the website mm, interesting and uh did did you find that there was a bunch of untapped demand there when you launched that chatbot initially? Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting one. It's a it's sort of a you know when you start offering um, chat on the website, you don't know whether you're actually generating more contacts than you would do before, or you know are you actually deflecting contacts from you know customers who are going to call you anyway, or customers who are going to email you anyway. So that that that's quite interesting, and still is interesting in terms of to sort of really understand where those pain points are in the you know in the e-commerce journey, and where we can then introduce um, you know a proactive assisted offering. You know, a good example of that that one of the first journeys that we that we did with the chatbot was where customers were at the point um, in the journey where they were trying to you know add a promo code to a particular basket and you know some customers were struggling and then having to call the con- call contact the contact center or go in go in, go to a you know a live agent to try and assist them there and that it, that remains to the day to be one of the most effective automated journeys that we've got so what we do is we intervene in that now based upon where we see behavior to sort of say you know if a customer enters a promo code and you know it's not it's refused we offer then that's where we intervene with the chat journey and sort of the, what the bot does it, it first tries to sort of offer you some you know easy to you know easy you know fault finding you know what 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 might be going wrong you know have you tried this have you tried that and then obviously if 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 that journey if that um automated journey isn't able to um solve that for the customer obviously we still give the option to sort of speak to a live um a live colleague in the contact center but that remains to the day to be one of our more successful journeys Mm, interesting. So, so you're essentially proactively recognizing through on-page behavior when someone might be struggling, and then you'll just pop up the chatbot at the right time to say, "Hey, is this something you're trying to do? Is that right?" Yeah, yeah, that's basically what, what we're trying to, and, and that's probably more of what we want to be doing in the future. You know, if you look at um, look what we do on the website today, it's sort of very much a most journeys are sort of a blanket offering. So we sort of just go, okay. You know, if you need help, we've got a chatbot here that, that, you know, that might be able to help you. And, you know, on typical pages like our help pages, on our contact us pages. But what we want to start doing is more of that style of proactively intervening in the journey based upon what it is you are doing on the website and where we see you know issues occurring and equally you know what we know about you know you if you're logged into the website you know you know if for example you know you've got a certain certain product in your basket or you've been browsing certain pages we'll leverage that information then to put you in touch with you know first of all we'll see if we can help with the chatbot but then because we understand what it is that you want it that you're actually trying to do we can put you then in touch with um a more specialist you know expert in that particular field say for example if you've got a you know if you've got a furniture item in your basket for example you've been browsing the furniture pages and you may have been looking at you know product dimensions and stuff like that that's where we may leverage that information to sort of put you in touch with a furniture expert um, and sometimes that might be in one of our stores mm, interesting Interesting. That's a really good example of that of how, because I think what most people do when they create a chatbot is they begin with that, the kind of use case that you alluded to there, which is the, hi, how might I help you situation? Um, And what I think a lot of organizations fail to do is use the data that you already have. I mean, here you're talking predominantly about web website behavioral data whereas yeah, yeah. It, may, it could just as well be crm data you know the customers exactly, logged in yeah. you know what yeah. the last purchase was you know they've returned to the website five days later has it been delivered yes it has are they talking about returns or complaints and using the data that you know already 
to start being proactive and guiding or preempting that conversation rather than always beginning from high how are you kind of thing you know yeah and, and that sort of you know that, that and i guess you know so we've very much focused on the servicing you know when when stuff perhaps isn't working as well as it is as, as we'd like it to we feel there's a there's an untapped area of more um let's say more proactive style journeys in terms of you know where we can potentially add more value by helping someone to try and find what it is that they're looking to buy to purchase for mm-hmm. example so you know where we're sort of leveraging the technology then for more of that type of journey you know the value add journey as opposed to helping when something hasn't worked quite as well as it should have done yeah yeah definitely coming coming kind of forward in the customer journey to try and assist with the sales and the research and that kind of stuff yeah but again you know it's you know what you can do with a you know you can do some simple stuff with like you say a blanket offering but where the real value is in is sort of utilizing that all the stuff you know about that as a that you know that 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 person that person Mm. or what's actually going on on the journey you know within the journey itself yeah definitely um what kind of so you mentioned the chatbot there started as uh you know a way of of handling some customer support and stuff like that uh what is the uh, how how are you kind of measuring that because you mentioned there that it's quite difficult to determine whether the chatbot does prevent kind of website traffic from yeah. hitting the call center so that how how are you approaching figuring out how the chatbot's performing yeah so what 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 we try and do and there's a lot of tools out there that that can do this you know I guess that, you know, that digital insights type piece. And, you know, there's a lot of website analytics um, programs available for that. But what, what, what we, what we, um, our vision around this, I guess, is sort of more around, okay, well, once you can sort of understand where those journeys are going wrong, do you then have the ability to intervene in those journeys based upon what you understand, where you can sort of go, well, I'm going to intervene in this journey, but I'm not going to intervene in that journey because it doesn't quite meet the criteria. So what what we, what we do is we look at sort of behavioral stuff on the website to sort of go, okay, well, where are customers reaching um, a contact journey, for example? So, you know, they're coming into an email, and so they're emailing us. So can we trace that customer's journey back up the funnel to sort of understand okay so this customer here they came into an email they actually emailed us but where did they start why are they emailing us and obviously you can sort of understand that from um you know the the intent of the email you know the subject matter what's in there but then you have to combine that information with what you know about that journey that that particular person took um, to get to that journey and the same applies for voice the same applies for, for, for chat and that's where you know we sort of got a good understanding of what's going on around the help pages but where we want to grow that level of understanding is what did they do before they got to the help page and then did that did that trigger of contact start outside of the website so for example um you know as with any sort of re- e-commerce retail, where's my order is a, you know, obviously a, a huge driver for contacts in, in, in our operations. And, you know, that trigger for that customer to contact us probably doesn't happen on the website because they bought the product two or three days ago or some weeks ago. So everything, everything up to that point went well, they didn't have to contact us, but where they have to then decide to make a contact to us because they're waiting for the order you know it's it's not arrived on time then we need to be able to leverage that information so when that customer is coming into that where's my order journey so that we can sort of go and that's where you can start to do some really clever stuff if you've identified that that person you can sort of leverage that to change the either the offer or what you're actually saying to and um, the, the the person so for example if we know that you have ordered something and we can see it's not you know you know it was meant to be delivered you know at a certain time certain day we see you coming into that coming into that journey can we then leverage that information to sort of give you a more tailored um start to that conversation to sort of go hi steve you know and um, you know 
we can see you've ordered this product with us, you know, are you, are you contacting us to sort of, you know, find out where this is, you know, where we can sort of start to really then, you know, so the customer doesn't have to tell us, we, we sort of trying to inform them about what we think is most likely they're going to be contacting us about and mm. similar stuff, you know, maybe stuff that's going on in stores as well, you know, where, where a customer might've purchased something in store. Mm. Interesting. We we had a conversation with um, Kishore Reddy from CTO of Yellow AI, and he was talking about in this case where um, it's almost like the the reverse or the back end of what you've discussed there. So rather than somebody coming onto the website, you've already got some information about them. You can preempt what their query might be about and then deliver that proactive kind of interaction. He was talking about a situation where the kind of customer is engaging with a chatbot then decides to drop out for whatever reason and then using that kind of data is that the right place to drop out did they get to the end of the conversation and if not triggering like a follow-up sms text that says oh we know you got to here do you want to continue the conversation here yeah and so it kind of got me thinking a little bit about using other modalities and other channels to your advantage and as you were kind of explaining there someone you know makes an order um takes you know moves the deliveries later or whatever the chatbot needs to understand where to go to look for the information that says it's late and what the new expected delivery date is. So I suppose there's a question around, is is there a time when you think that other channels may be used to support that chatbot? Because, for example, there's no reason why that couldn't be a proactive text message it says, hey, you know, sorry, you know, we know your package is delayed. It's going to be arriving within the next X days. Like, do you, do you, how is your thoughts thinking around the usage of other channels in that kind of omni-channel automation journey? Yeah, I mean, we 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 definitely feel that like more proactive um, journey generation is definitely going to play a part, you know, in our strategy. So that sort of, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, is doing a lot of the standard stuff to sort of go, um, you know your order's not going to arrive on time and, and stuff like that in conjunction with our delivery partners. But then, you know, one thing that we, you know, we we think there's an opportunity there, but we need to do a lot of work to sort of understand it more is, you know, would a better journey then be inviting that customer into a conversation with either a colleague or um, some sort of, you know, some sort of bot to sort of help them, you know, should they choose to reach out with that as opposed to sort of leaving it very open to sort of go, well, we've let you know that there's a problem, but we've not sort of given you a, a we've not suggested the best w- the way that we might want you to get in touch with us, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So you leave it open to to a customer that, that, that they'll, you know, they'll choose whatever suits them, which might not be the best way to service them from their perspective. And it also might not suit MS as a business, you know, we we might want to direct certain customers to to a particular channel. Right. It, it's also to do with the time of day as well. You know, some of the stuff that we're looking at in terms of um not specifically, you know, with, with conversational AI, but um where if you look at contact us options on the website, what we want to do is sort of offer the best, you know, the best way of contacting us dependent on actually actually what's going on in the contact center right now. So if we know, you know, wait times on voice are three, four minutes or so, but we know chat's quiet, we then leverage that information to then offer, you know, the most appropriate, you know, offer a different contact option dependent on what it is you want to contact us about. You know, for example, we still got a lot of customers who get in touch with us about where's my order via email. Hmm. But email, obviously, because of its nature, it tends to be, you know, it's going to be, you know, sometimes up to 24 hours before we get back to you. So would a better journey to be offer offer a where's my order intent, would that be better sent into a real time channel? Because then we can actually give you the information in real time, because quite often. By the time we get to an email saying, where's my order, the order might have been delivered anyway. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's some to be said maybe for automating emails using some NLU uh, solutions, but the challenge is that they tend to be, they tend to drone on a little bit. So you need to do a lot of work in trying to realize which part of the email is important. Um, 
but yeah, that, that makes total sense. That so so in 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 to wrap up on the chatbot side of things, um, it sounds as though there's there, it's definitely solving a real problem around the Q and A and that kind of stuff. I think you mentioned that it's starting to get into transactional use cases here and there. Uh, you're working on making it more proactive and stuff like that. What what's the what's the kind of impact been on on the business from having that chatbot in place? Like what's how does how does the business determine whether it's working? Yeah, so we've we've got a number of number of measures, and these are sort of continually evolving. So interestingly enough, we've we in the last year we sort of moved away from the nuanced chatbot to right. a, a different 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 bot, um, and that's you know that that's got some you know that that's allowed us to achieve you know a, a better sort of service rate, I guess you know successful mm-hmm. service service rate, but. I think probably what what over time we've sort of evolved this, you know. So it, it, when we started with this, we looked at it very simplistically, as in, well, if you've not if you've not escalated out of the bar, clearly your problem's been sorted. Mm. Whereas it's not quite that 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 it's not quite that clear cut. So you can't just look at um, transfer rates to you know escalations to colleagues. Um, so what we might then do, what, what we then do is we sort of look at, you know, other things that indicate that. So, for example, we'll ask a question at the end of that, you know, bot conversation, just as we do with a colleague. But we might then, but we ask different questions. So, for example, for our chat bot, we sort of ask, well, did we answer your question? Um, as opposed to a colleague post um, post interaction survey would be more around, you know, um, yeah, obviously you've got your traditional MPS, you know, you get your brand and you've got your, you, we, we have colleague MPS as well, mm-hmm. but that's, we use that in conjunction with, okay, well, this is, this is the transfer rate out of that particular journey. But what are these other things that are saying that they're saying, you know, what is the, what proportion of customers in that journey are saying you've actually answered my question because, you know, quite sometimes what you can get is that frustration with the journey. So a customer just, gives up on the conversation because mm. they, they feel it's not it's not working for them. And then they might appear then in another contact channel. So what we've started to do now is sort of look at those um okay, well I've I've reached out in in um I've reached out in the chat bot or the voice bot for example. It appears that we've answered your question because you've chosen to sort of hang up that journey or you've you know you've gone away. Um, but then do we see you appear in another contact channel such as email um, mm. within a certain space of time? And then this this allows us then to sort of get a more rounded view for, of, you know, just because it's not been transferred doesn't mean that we've actually answered your question and started to look more about how you feel about that conversation as well. So looking at those, looking at the, the conversation itself and looking for sentiment you know what's the sentiment off the back of that conversation? Are we are we look we, and we might be looking for frustration in that in that conversation as and all these factors then sort of need to be looked at in the round to sort of then judge how well that conversation is going from a customer perspective and um, mm. as well as combining it with you know what we're trying to achieve from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Nice, interesting. So on the on the voice side of things, then. So you mentioned that the that project started from looking at how to kind of augment the switchboard and how to make routing calls more effective and all that kind yeah. of stuff. What if you can kind of walk us through that journey? For like, so so you've identified a problem that there is there's um, I don't know maybe customers are getting either sent to the wrong places or it's taken up a lot of resource to try and manage these calls. It's adding a lot of kind of time onto an average call time, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Where did you start with with how to approach that kind of particular part? Yeah, so um, the, it's, it's worth calling out that this was a you know it's a big project in M and S, and you know I, I was part of the project, but it, it was a whole cross functional you know team uh, that were involved in that. You know you've got you've got domain experts who know about customer, and um, you know you've got people who know about how the switchboard worked. Then you've got technical resource, you know, development teams. And, you know, initially this was sort of, you know, the problem statement was sort of built collaboratively and, um, you know, between the, the business problem and then the, the you know, the, 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 the tech and the true technical people sort of look, went out and looked to see, okay, 
we think this is possible. We've got a hypothesis to sort of say we can we can replicate this, we can build this using technology and automate this routing journey based upon what it is you're trying to do as a customer in the, in the voice channel. And a lot of different products were looked at, you know, using a lot of different, you know, you, you sort of got your, you know, you've got your more managed service style of, of approaches versus, you know, you sort of citizen developer type solutions, you know, and there was a lot of work first spent, you know, looking at that and what would be the best, you know, the best thing for our particular um, use cases. One of the most important things for us as, a, as, a, as I guess, the, the contact center operations is that we needed to retain quite a lot of control and flexibility in terms of once we deliver this, we have to be able to sort of administer it ourselves and make changes to it quite often, you know, at short notice, depending on what's happening within a particular store, within a particular, um, you know, contact reason, as, as it were. So that was all sort of played into that. And, and eventually we sort of settled on um, a, a sort of a, a Twilio Google Dialogflow solution. Um, and at the time, um, Google Dialogflow was primarily a chat. It was it, historically, I think it had been used primarily as a chat feature and using sort of what what Twilio were doing and, you know, the ability to sort of pick and choose from the sweet shop to sort of go, OK, well, we'll use dialogue flow. We'll use you know, speech to text from here. We'll use text to speech from here. Um, we sort of built that as a platform, as a, as a platform concept um, and then had, you know, you know, using our integration partners, we built interfaces then that business users, you know, operational business users could use to um, administer the platform and, and give us that flexibility we still needed, which was incredibly valuable, you know, during the past, you know, the, obviously what the world's been through in the past couple of years or so. Mm. And then, you know, we had a very we had a very clear plan as to how we would approach that. And, and that was very much formed. You know, first of all, we'll do intent capture. So we'll simply start asking a select group of people who were caught. Sorry, a select group of stores were placed on this. And so we'll, and we just started asking the questions. Tell us it. Tell us why. Why you're calling. Um, and interestingly enough, there was a lot of we, we did experiment a little bit with what question we're going to ask, you know, in that journey. So we went through, we, one of the things we tried an experiment with was, was um, we asked, um, we started asking what, what initially one of the experiments was that we'd ask and um, tell us what it is you want to do today. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly enough, and I don't think sure if this is just to do with the UK, we were getting some interesting answers off the back of that um, based upon British sense of humor, perhaps, you know, <laughs> but quite, you know, we, we saw a few swim with dolphins Um <laughs> And uh, that was one of the things that we got in there. We we felt that um, tell us why you're calling, you know, why you're calling us today was a better fit. And that's that's still the question we use today. And then off the back of that, we simply started um, capturing that um, and, you know, not doing anything with it at first. So we just thank, thank the caller. And then that call would be sent through to. Um, instead of sending it through to these regional switchboard hubs, we'd sent it through to sort of more contact center type um, area, and they they then would perform the same thing as you know what what the what the what the store switchboard was doing, but also what they'd start to do is they they'd start then to try and add value to that call. So for example, one of the one of the things that we used to get um, a lot of was people ringing a store asking if a particular item was in stock in a particular color or a particular size and asking the store to put it aside for them because they were right. going to, they were going to be down later. And, and that was one of the scenarios where we, we felt that, you know, that would be better serviced by sending that through to the contact center where we could then source that product from every, you know, basically we could look for that product that the customer wanted across all our store estate and from our e-commerce, um, side of things and that way we're sort of then providing a better service if you see what I mean because we're more yeah. like you know because quite a lot of that's not that a lot of that time you know you go through to the store and they, they wouldn't have it you know so yeah. what, what would you do um 
So that was where we started then to leverage a little bit of value, understand a little bit more about the call types because prior to prior to sort of getting the intent model in place, we didn't really know what what all these reasons were. You know, it was very much the old five bar gate type approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 even even as far as you know, we didn't actually know a lot about how many calls we were handling um, within you know from from this route. Um, and by starting sort of with that basic intent model, we then took all those utterances, built a built a, an intent model um, off the back of that, and then we started to tune and check for accuracy on that model with the traditional sort of approach that you would take where you'd sort of go, okay, well, let's go and, you know, they've said this, we've matched it to this intent. Did it, did they say this, first of all, you know, the usual mm-hmm. tuning activity and then checking for accuracy to sort of went, we then started allocating those utterances to the intents that we believe they associated with, with, with them, checking that that was all working. And we, we sort of set ourselves as something, you know, we weren't going to start doing anything with that particular call, with that particular intent that was different until we got it to at least sort of 80% accuracy. Mm. Um, and today our model is sort of, that's still sort of the minimum benchmark, but most of our intents are sort of in the, in the sort of mid nineties in terms of accuracy of utterance to intent allocation. So we, we then sort of had our had our, our basic intent model and um, we then rolled that across the entire store estate instead of sort of the select group of stores we were using um, off the back of that. And then we started to look for opportunities to then actually service the, the, the customer's question. So, for example, um, you know, if someone wants, was ringing up regarding store, you know, stock availability in store, we'd send that through to the contact center because that's a sort of a sales opportunity, a value add opportunity. If you were ringing regarding store opening hours, um, we then sent you through to uh, an automated IVR where, because we knew which store you'd called, we could give you the store opening hours and we, you know, we all started to automate those. And some journeys still today are, you know, where where we're, we're, we're giving you the information we think might answer your question you might have, but we feel there's still a huge untapped resource in terms of further opportunities to service that contact. You know, you know, basically, you know, if it's not just generic information we're trying to give you, we actually want to try and automate the contact, if you see what I mean. So, mm-hmm. for example... If you want to track your order, you know, we, we, you know, we'll, 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 we can, we provide an interface in there. And then we're just sort of growing those journeys over time and to then leverage, you know, you know, leverage greater efficiency um, within those contact types. But again, still giving the customer the option to speak to a colleague if, the, you know, if, we, if we've not been able to answer your question. Mm, nice, nice. That's pretty good practice, and and is is a a really solid approach. That starting with just generally capturing utterances that you don't already have, building an intent model around that, and then looking for how to service it, basically. And then once you've got that up and running, you're then just kind of looking at long tail things or seasonal things, you know, that that come and go, you know, here and there. Um, how was the kind of process around? Um, around the kind of gradual implementations because some some organizational cultures have a kind of culture which is very much about the kind of big bang approach spend mm-hmm. months and, and all kinds of stuff developing it then big bang launch other companies have that more of an agile culture whereby they're more interested and up for doing a more incremental rollout with conversational ai it's very difficult to do a big bang approach because especially if you're starting cold with no data whatsoever you need to do an exercise to gather that training data be it through call recordings or as you've done or like launching it and, and capturing live data and then you need to then prioritize that don't you so which ones are we going to start with how which which calls are we going to route first which ones are we going to introduce kind of some degree of self-service with first and then we've, when you've done that you've then got the incremental improvement of the models on top of it so it's it's very difficult to have that kind of big bang approach yet 
lots of organizational cultures working that way. So I wonder whether you might share a little bit around how M&S and, and the culture and, and from your involvement in the project, was that kind of incremental approach? Did it take some kind of convincing or was it, has, has M&S already got that kind of incremental culture? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, M&S in terms of sort of, I guess our, our product teams, you know, they, we have that in terms of an agile methodology anyway. I think, um, you know, even out, outside of, um, you know, your conversation AI, I think MS has a as a general culture with a test and learn principle, and that's what we try and we try and do. Part of that, I think, comes from um, the sort of um, MS as a company in in terms of you know we've always got customer in the front of our minds when we're doing this this type of stuff. So um, there is a little bit of a fear sometimes then to you know this is such a big change for customers. Um, especially, you know, with, with the nature of, you know, M&S's customers, you know, historically, maybe they had a, you know, slightly older demographic um, than, you know, sort of your more, um, you know, like your, you, you know, your, your, your sort of your new e-commerce retailers um, in the market who perhaps have a, a, a younger demographic. So I think there's always that care aspect in terms of we want to go carefully with this type of stuff. Let's do it on a smaller scale, first of all, and grow from there once we start seeing what we're what 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 sort of response we're getting. So one of the one of the measures that we actually had at the start was and one of the things we were worried about would would, would people actually willingly interact with the with the with the bot. So interestingly enough, that was one of the things that we had at the start was that was what percentage of people just didn't say anything when we asked them. Um, the question and then we we then sort of you know initially we went okay well if they've not said anything we'll just send you straight through to a colleague fine and then over time gradually we uh, we introduce a follow-up question to sort of go sorry didn't hear that could you tell us why you're calling today and then you know we got an extra we got an incremental you know increase in people who then interacted with were willing to interact with the with the service and then again over time we then go, and, and I think we started at sort of like 30% of people just didn't say anything. Um, but what is interesting is over time, as people get used to it, because obviously you can see the same, you know, we've got a lot of people who ring us, you know, you know, once a week, customers wise, you see more and more people then, you know, getting used to it. One of the interesting things we saw was that um, you ask the question, especially when you first make the change and the first time a customer encounters this new experience, you get a lot of people hanging up. And then what we noticed was that they ring back a few minutes later and then they say something. And I think what it was was that people were, they weren't expecting it. They didn't actually know what to say. Um, and then they'd sort of go away, have a bit of a think about what they were going to say and then ring back. And then they were very articulate. They were quite articulate, quite articulate. And it's interesting as well. Some people complete opposite of that, and then we were getting sort of a bit of a we were getting sort of a couple of paragraphs of, um, you know, there was one I, I remember particularly where we got a story of why they were so they they said, oh, I went into a store, I bought this jacket, um, but I got the jacket home, it still has its tag on, and I just want to know, you know, and that was you know we had to sort of then you know because what we're interested in, and that makes it really difficult for. CAI because it's got oh goodness what's going on here you know there's all sorts of things that this this particular call is talking about but people do, people do learn how to use the technology over time um, as well so that was quite interesting but I think that I, I couldn't imagine MS doing something like this as a big bang approach because it's mm. it's too too risky and you know, we can move quite quickly once we've got a little bit of information. It's sort of, you know, let's learn a little bit, see what we find out, make a change. And we can we can we can add new functionality in quite quickly as we move along the journey. But we got our first intent model um, after the intent capture. We had an intent model within four weeks. Hmm. You know, once we started with this sort of low number of stores, we had we had that intent model. And it was live. It wasn't routine, but we were able to start measuring its quality, how good it was. And we actually started routing, I think, within a couple of months. Um, mm. And then it, over time, then it's sort of then grown and grown and grown and grown. 
but we've sort of, you know, where we're now, where we're at now is sort of now we need more support from, you know, the, the traditional development teams because to get the full value now, we need to start integrating with APIs for better order tracking, for, you know, amending orders, for stuff like that. You know, the stuff that where you've got to do your, it's not just about, surfacing some information it's actually about linking it to you as an individual mm, yeah definitely how long did you do that initial data capture piece for um four weeks all right so you had the four weeks of initial data capture plus four weeks of building an intent model plus a period of time where you were just basically running the intent model but yeah. not escalating just checking its accuracy yeah. and improving it and stuff like that and then eventually you rolled out the, the automated yeah, the, uh, the whole project to sort of get it to its initial business case, met the business case was six months. Um, yeah. We moved pretty quickly in the, that first sort of month or two, you know, where we were, we'd started to root, you know, at the end of month two. Um, and that was across the entire store estate. And one of the other interesting things is that although the business case was only built for store calls initially, um, one of the interesting things is we we then pretty quickly started to then leverage the same technology for calls to our contact centers as well. So from the e-commerce site, you know, all the numbers that come off the e-commerce site, we then started to leverage, you know, taking the same approach we'd use for, for stores. Interestingly enough, you know, totally different contact reasons that we get when someone's trying to ring a store versus some, someone who's trying to, you get some of the same, mm. but we had to build, you know, a slightly different intent model at first. So we, we had two intent models, we had a store one and, a, and a, what we refer to as a contact center one. And then over time we've merged those into a single intent model where we leverage um, things we know about the call to sort of infer, you know, what is, you know, which, which intent it's most likely to be dependent on where you're calling from. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Um, so how is it performing? You mentioned they obviously put together the business case, went through the whole process. Um, inevitably, it's a living, breathing thing now that's been implemented and maybe we'll get on to the, the next steps around the API access and integrations and stuff like that. That, but how how kind of how what were the results essentially on against the business case? Like yeah, so if you, if you look at this, kind of this yeah, so if you look at the store business case, um, I think our sort of self-service, um, con, you know, call servicing objective was, was, you know, wasn't massively ambitious. You know, we were sort of looking at sort of ten percent of calls that we were trying to get in there. The primary use case was could we accurately route the, the caller, um, mm. and you know that that was achieved. You know, at the end, really, you know quite soon in, in the project really. So we were, we were, as I say, we were getting sort of that intent utterance accuracy, you know, up to the high eighties by the end of sort of, you know, two or three months and um, in the intents that we had. And then, you know, that was pretty much the, you know, the objectives achieved for the store piece. Now, obviously, then we, you know, you say it's a living, breathing thing. We then moved into the contact center piece, which was a different thing we were trying to achieve. That was sort of more focused on, you know, well, accuracy of routing. Um, you know, could you know, one of the interesting things is that is there is that you know, traditional DTMF IVRs, which everyone who works in telephony and contact centers would be familiar with. You know, we we had. Um, across our lives, you, you sort of we had a number of DTMF IVRs. You know, you ring this number, you get six options. Choose an option, you route off the back of that. One thing that really break, brought home was that um, how how poor traditional IVRs are actually at, at you know at doing what they're trying to do, which is trying to sort of go. You're trying to do that. Why is this person calling and getting them to the right place? So we went, you know, for example, you know, we had several, you know, two or three IVRs, each with, you know, three to six options. Um, dependent on, you know, were you calling about furniture? Was it about store? Was it about, you know, e-commerce type activity? We, we, when we did our model, we then went from, you know, the, that number of options to 160 different intents. Um, and that just sort of then gets it across as to how, 
you know, it, it's it, it's nearly impossible to build uh, a DTMF IVR that will cater for all of those scenarios that their customer has got in their head when they ring you. And everyone will be used to this in terms of when you get an IVR, you start, you've got, you've got your intent, what you're trying to do in your head. And what you're trying to do is you're listening to the options on the IVR. And this is the best case scenario. Some people just click one and take their chances. You're listening to the options and you're going, does my, does what I'm trying to do match option one better? Or does it match option three better? Um, so, uh, and every, that's that sort of my coping mechanism, but it just brings home the fact that how how really inefficient they are at, at doing this type of thing. You know, if you take a, if you look at all your contact reasons and then go, how do you build an IVR for all those contact reasons? You know, without completely overloading someone with you know huge messages, huge cognitive load that they're just you know it's just not going to serve the purpose. Yeah, and that's a value of conversational interfaces in general, to be honest, yeah. because you could argue that a website is the same thing. You've only got so much screen real estate. You can only have so many menu items before people kind of get overwhelmed or whatever. Um, then the challenge is, how do you then deal with the breadth of language? Um, and I think that there's a lot of companies that are a little bit afraid of that because they think it's a really big challenge. Like, how are we going to try and understand everything that someone could possibly say? But when you think about it, though, as a business, how could you not go through that exercise? Because you will have insights now on what your customers are actually talking to you about, what their actual real needs are, and you'll have categorized and quantified those. Whereas other companies that haven't gone down this path haven't. They just think that a web click on a web on a menu item is a signifier of interest and intent when it's not yeah. really because the, you're relying on the label, what the, what the label's called, and the the whether that's translated into the mind of the user. So it's it's. The challenge seems big, but it's almost like, well, I'm bound to say this because I'm hugely biased, but it almost seems like an inevitable challenge that has to be gone through, does it not? Yeah, I mean, and as well, and that's just talking about getting the contact, the customer to the best place to actually answer that question. So even if you're not trying to automate anything, that's a huge challenge for contact centers anyway, be it in, you know, voice has some additional challenges with cognitive load versus a website, you know, in terms of time and stuff like that, but it's a challenge anywhere. And that's even before you then start thinking about how do I then look at opportunities to automate these contacts? Because you cannot automate a contact until you've understood what it is the customer is actually trying to achieve. And you cannot do that in, in the voice channel. Yeah, you know, website slightly different, but you are again, as you say, you're reliant upon a person looking at all the information that's available there and making the right judgment based upon what your the information you're giving them there on the screen and conversational interfaces are just better at getting to the heart of the problem yeah definitely um in order to do that automation, understanding the front end is one thing, understanding what someone's talking about and what their query is and understanding and being able to classify that intent uh, is one thing. The other thing is being able to have the infrastructure and the capabilities to be able to facilitate that automated transaction. You kind of alluded to this earlier on around, you know, the next step being working more closely with the developers and all that kind of stuff. Um how much of that, uh, or, or I wonder whether you can shed light on the current situation at, at M&S and any kind of advice you would have on companies approaching that automation stage and the importance of having your kind of house in order when it comes to those API availability and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, obviously, it depends on you on you know your, your organization. M&S being around for so long, we suffer from what a lot of companies suffer from, as in we've got a lot of disparate systems that hold all this information. And part of the you know there's a lot of work within M&S going on at the moment where we where we're trying to bring everything together in a single place um, where we can sort of this is the this is the centralized view of all this information about customers to sort of then, well, you, you know, that we can then start plugging stuff it interfacing into to get that really valuable information that you need if you're really going to sort of going to crack automation and you've got to have, you know, the, the, you know, those teams in place and, you know, you structurally, you've got to be set up in the right way where, um, you know, we're, we're, as a you know we feel that the 
as an operation in, in, in the contact center, we're the best play, you know, we're, we're here to produce the problem statements and provide the data to sort of go, this is our top reason for contact. You know, this is where we're trying to get to. And then taking that problem to the development teams and sort of then going, okay, well, this is, this is the information we need in order to then um, automate this journey. And that's where it becomes a lot more collaborative because the way that we, we're set up, that we've set up our teams in, in M&S is we've sort of made a conscious decision that the people who administer our, administer, tune, monitor the accuracy of, monitor the quality of, they're all, um, I guess you'd call domain experts, as in they're, they're from the customer side of things, if you see what I mean. They've all got huge breadth of knowledge in terms of how M&S operates as a business. They've all come from the customer side of the operation. So at some point, they've all been involved in, a, in some shape or form with handling customer interactions themselves. And we feel that those are the right people to be managing the experience, monitoring the experience, but they're not, they're not developers, they don't code. And to be able to really get the full value, it's a matter of, of sort of pairing those, those people up with the people who can do the integrations, who can build the web hooks and the plugins and the integrations to where that information is held and then build interfaces then that they can leverage to then really start to, you know, you know, use those conversational journeys and, and get access to that information and then, you know, build the, build the, build the journey out based upon, you know, let the, let the techies do what the techies are good at and let, letting our teams do what we're good at which is you know the customer journey itself mm, mm, interesting um you mentioned that before autopilot and dialogue flow mm-hmm. uh, and you mentioned that when you began it was dialogue flow es presumably before they'd released uh, cx yeah, yeah, yeah. uh Wondering whether I'm only on a couple of minutes left, but I'm wondering whether you can walk us through some of those processes and tools that you might use from from that kind of like management maintenance AI ops kind of perspectives, or or whether there's any learnings that you might have to share on that. Yeah, I mean certainly. Um, so we where we feel we we you know we've still got tons of stuff we want to do, and by no means we're we're perfect in this. So I think. Um, because we sort of took the decision to take um, to teach customer-facing people the technical, you know, the tools, that then um, means that we, you know, you have to invest in teaching those people about conversation design, teaching those people mm-hmm. about um, AI training, teaching those people. You know, it's not just about learning how to use the tool; it's those skills that come along with those tools and um, so we're still we're, we still use dialogflow es cx is we feel as if that's a um that's a tool set that we will need to get us to where we're 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 trying to go to and on our journey mm-hmm. and you know partly because of that you know you've got that ability to really closely tune those intents and and journeys you've got you know it comes with quite a lot of out of the box analytics Mm. stuff to sort of really to really understand you know where are you know we was talking about the website before but where are where are the pain points in the journey where are we seeing you know um ambiguity in in conversations where are we where are people dropping out into a default intent what was their journey they took prior to that? And it gives us sort of that level, further level of control. We've tried to build, and by plugging into the raw data, uh, we've tried to build the capability using tools such as Power BI to sort of provide us that sort of view of the journey and then for us, for the team to then drill into where the journey's maybe not, not, going, not going along. But... Mm. CX type product comes with a lot of that nowadays, you know, comes with that. So that's where we feel as if 
that will be advantageous for us. The other thing that I think we were talking about before the call was at the moment we don't have a we don't have a consistent voice talent um, within our journey. So we've got a mix of um, I guess branded static messaging combined with TTS voices. Um, and we feel as if, you know, that's another area we want to develop into. So we can give a consistent voice, whether it's a static message that we're giving you, you know, when you've, when you've left the dialogue flow part and the Twilio part of the journey and you've come into the, the, you know, the more generic contact center journeys, we want to make that journey a bit more consistent in that respect mm. now as well. That's one of the things that we're quite keen on investigating now within, you know, what's available in the market and mm. sort of move, you know, to sort of do stuff around that. And then looking at all our, looking across all our channels, you know, our chat our, our, and our voice box to sort of go, what what is the persona we're presenting? That's one of the things that we didn't think enough about at the start to sort of go, what is the what's the identity of the MS bot? What are we trying to portray about this? You know, just as we we try, you know, our colleagues are all, you know, we invest a lot of time about, you know, what MS is about, you know, what are the values that are valuable to us. We think there's an opportunity around in our automated channel to sort of, you know do that you know i think a lot of a lot of companies sort of are, are really good at that you know you've got you you've got your you, you know, you've got your domino you've got dom from dominoes he's very very you know they've, they've got that brand right within their their particular conversational ai channels mm-hmm. that's where we feel that you know we we want to be doing a lot more work in that in that area yeah yeah definitely it can definitely help i mean it can help uh, increase you know, improve the engagement and stuff like that. It can help make it a bit, you know, more memorable and and de- debate in the level of personification uh, that a different use case requires is is quite interesting. Where where I'm really keen to see things head is, you know, it's the same as a, an actual live agent. You you don't get the same personality every time you call, and you don't always get different conversations require a different approach as well and so at the moment i think most organizations they'll do a personality design i would argue most of them kind of do it a bit too high level which is like this her name sandra she comes from california and her dad was a doctor and all that kind of stuff um whereas there's some really good frameworks out there from you know like so rebecca evanhoe and diana diebel and stuff which really concentrates it around the specific use case which enables you to do things like have a personalized voice um but flex the persona based on the type of use case. So if someone's calling about a return or to make a complaint, the persona might behave slightly differently to if someone's calling to make a, a sale or whatever, you know. Um, that's where I'm kind of really keen to see it develop and beyond that kind of initial persona into a persona that is able to flex to the use case. And, and in future, we're probably a bit, the technology exists now to do this, but I think we're a bit behind as far as the adoption of this, but hooking up things like sentiment analysis and even uh, things like um, there's a whole bunch of different things you can do with conversational intelligence to understand the, the conversational speaking style of the caller and pairing that with an agent that matches that conversational speaking style and can respond based on the sentiment as well. Like I always say that this stuff is about to get more complex before it gets simpler. But uh, but definitely there's there's some big value to be had in that I think. Yeah, and I think that that's 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 where we're sort of we're looking at now in terms of uh, conversational AI in general. We're sort of looking okay. Well, we've we've had a lot of focus around you know customer conversations now. How can we start to leverage that to benefit the colleagues who are you know talking to customers in all in all our channels? You know some very interesting stuff around you know what. Um, anyone using Microsoft Teams, um, where you know, any you know, obviously predictive texting, you know, has been around for eight for, for ages. But there's a lot of stuff in that area at the moment in terms of where how can we because we are understanding what's going on in the conversation, and that might be a live chat, a live voice conversation, or an email. Can we then leverage that to help the colleague better, um, you know, more efficiently answer the question? or more help them find the right answer to the customer question in the first place. So, sort of, you know, where, for example, you know, taking what we know about the conversation 
with the automated platform and passing that the key bits of information um, if we have to escalate, we pass in the key bits of information we've learned about that conversation to the colleague. And for example, you know, we know it's about where's my order and we know it's about this order, but proactively offering guidance to the colleague about what they need to then do to resolve that, to resolve that for the, for the, for the customer and sort of really sort of try to make the conversation more efficient, but also try and not make as many errors you know can we help you know microsoft viva if anyone's used that really interesting that it's reading conversations that you're having via email and it's reminding you that you've said you were going to do something for this person and have you done it or not and that's really fascinating in terms of how we then start to leverage that for our customer facing colleagues because at the end of the day we're always going to have customer facing colleagues they're always going to be there yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and there's such an untapped area there for the agent assist side of things, which reminds me uh, of the webinar that we're running with Core AI. For those of you tuning in, uh, we're running a webinar with Core AI next week. It is on the, uh, I believe it's the sixth of May. I'll double check that because I don't want to be lying to you. Fifth, I think. Fifth. There you go. Fifth of May. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> You've been paying more attention than I have. Fifth <laughs> um, of May. We're going to be talking all about agent assist technologies and how that can help improve agent productivity and customer experience please do check that out uh, vux.world forward slash better dash together if you are listening on the podcast uh steve this has been absolutely amazing thank you so much for tuning in i know we had some questions coming through here in the chat uh which we haven't had time to get to so apologies guillaume apologies uh yakov uh for not managing to get there but i think we were in floor during that conversation it was a bit difficult to uh to break stride but thank you steven so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much yeah thanks for the uh, thanks for the opportunity no probs, no probs. And everybody else, we are back again next week, uh, as always. Next week, we have one, the, the webinar with Core AI, as I mentioned. Uh, and on Tuesday, we're talking to Brad Cleveland, who is an independent consultant working in the contact center space. We're going to be talking about all of the contact center and CX trends that are occurring uh, in 2022 so far, including, obviously, conversational AI. So we're looking forward to seeing you again there. Without further ado, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. See you. Bye-bye. Cheers.